Today, uh, we wrap up our series, as you'll see on the screen, on the Holy Spirit. Uh, I'm really grateful for the teachers in my life, uh, for those who have helped form me, uh, particularly in this area, in the area of studying and learning about the Holy Spirit. And so some of those I've mentioned over the past few weeks, some of those teachers, some I've, I've not mentioned, uh, but, but we've considered all of these different areas in the past few weeks. We've considered the presence, we've considered the power, we've considered the promise, uh, we've considered the, the presence or the gifts, we've considered the produce or the fruit of God's Spirit. And today as we conclude, I, I want us to consider the, the ultimate pathway of the Spirit. Paul would call it the most excellent pathway. And so let's pick up where we left off in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 31. Paul says, Now eagerly desire the greater gifts, and yet I will show you the most excellent way. Chapter 13, If I speak in tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love. I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I'm nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. We said a, a few weeks ago, as we were exploring the gifts of the Spirit, as Paul describes them in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, uh, we, we said that these, these gifts were, were pointing to something beyond the gifts. Uh, first and foremost, that the gifts, Paul starts out in, in the first part of chapter 12, the gifts point us to the Lordship of Jesus. We can't even confess the Lordship of Jesus apart from His Spirit. This is back in the beginning of 12. And so, a fundamental question that we have to ask ourselves, that we've been asking as we've walked through this series when discerning the leading of God's Spirit is, what does it have to do with the Lordship? What does a gift have to do with the Lordship of Jesus? How does this reflect the value of the Lordship of Christ and His Kingdom? Um, most of us are aware of the, the tragedy that took place almost 60 years ago this month in November of 1963, uh, the assassination of President John F. Kennedy uh, in downtown Dallas as he was driving through a motorcade. I've actually stood in the window where the shot came from, and it's a sobering experience. Um, but most of us are probably not as familiar with a lesser-known story that happened just a couple weeks after that. Just a couple weeks after the assassination of John F. Kennedy was the kidnapping of Frank Sinatra, Jr. This happened also in that same year in 1963. Made several headlines for just a couple days. Uh, this is the son, obviously, of Frank Sinatra Sr. Uh, his kidnapper, Junior's kidnapper, was a gentleman named Barry Keenan. And Keenan was a, a stock exchange kind of guru. He was very young, early 20s, and made a lot of money in the stock market. Um, but he had got hooked on painkillers, uh, became hooked on alcohol, and ended up losing pretty much everything he had. So he had to develop a new business plan. And so his business plan was in a three-ring binder, uh, very thick, very detailed, but part of his business plan was kidnapping Frank Sinatra Jr. 
and taking the ransom money from Frank Sinatra Sr. and using that as capital for his new venture. Uh, so after a few failed attempts, one of the failed attempts was actually on the day that JFK was shot, and he decided, you know, it, it wasn't the right time to try to kidnap someone on the day the president was shot, so he waited a few weeks later, and he actually was successful along with a few accomplices in kidnapping Frank Sinatra Sr. in South Lake Tahoe. And so he contacts Frank Sinatra Sr., and Sinatra Sr. offers Keenan $1 million. But Keenan on the phone refuses and said, no, I don't need a million, I just need 240000 <laughs> So you can imagine how confusing like this negotiation is happening on the phone with Frank Sinatra Sr. He finally tells Sinatra Sr., hey, I need you to go to a gas station about 30 minutes from where you're at and go there and you'll receive further instructions. So Keenan calls the gas station, the gas station owner answers the phone, and Keenan says, is Frank Sinatra there? Well, as you can imagine, the owner of the gas station thinks this is a big joke, so he hangs up on him. Keenan calls back, says, is Frank Sinatra there? He hangs up on him again. The third time that Keenan calls, the gas station owner answers and in walks Frank Sinatra with a mess of FBI agents and says, hey, I'm Frank Sinatra. Has anybody called for me? He receives the, the further instruction, and Keenan ends up getting the ransom money, but after he got the ransom money, he was captured by FBI agents. He was sentenced to life in prison plus 75 years, do the math on that. But he ends up getting paroled a few years later because he was declared insane. And so just this past year, he records this whole story on a podcast. And he tells this whole story, and here's, here's, here's the, the kicker of the story. Even all these years later, here's what Barry Keenan is proclaiming. He proclaims that he got, had God's approval to kidnap Frank Sinatra Jr. This is what he still claims. And so he says the Spirit of God was, was talking to him that he, he, had to, he had to do this, but he, he could not hurt anyone and he had to pay the money back. This was the conditions that he believed that he received from God. Now I don't believe for one second that the Spirit of God told Barry Keenan to kidnap someone. Maybe it was another spirit, maybe it was a mental illness, maybe it was desperation, but it was not the Spirit of God. Let me assure you that God's Spirit never wants you to kidnap someone, okay? And so that doesn't mean, though, that God is silent and doesn't mean that God doesn't work in our lives even to this very day. So Paul inspired by the Spirit, is helping the Corinthian church to understand the purpose of the Spirit's movement in their lives. In the past few weeks, we've, we've talked about spiritual presence or spiritual gifts. And what, what Paul is, is doing first and foremost is he is reminding the Corinthian church that, that the spiritual gifts point to not the Spirit, but it points to the Lordship of Jesus. And then secondly, what he says at the first of 1 Corinthians 12 is that the, the gifts are for the edification, they're for the improvement, they're for the common good of the body. This is the reason for the gifts. And Paul then says that if you have all of these gifts, 
And we looked at the, the various passages in the New Testament that describe some of the ways that the, the Spirit works. If you have all the gifts, Paul says, if you have all these things, but, but you do not have love, then you gain nothing. You gain nothing. Well, what does love look like, Paul? Well, Sawyer Burgess just, just read that to us a few moments ago. We'll read it again, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Now let's pause right there. So most of the time when we hear these verses read, where do we hear them read? We hear, hear them read at a, a wedding. I've actually read these verses in numerous wedding ceremonies. But, but wait just a minute, because we, we've, this chapter, this, this, these chapters that we've been talking about have nothing to do with a wedding. I mean, if you were to walk up to Paul today and, and say, hey, Paul, I really appreciated your chapter on marriage. He's like, he'd probably say, well, which one? Are we talking about Ephesians 5? What, what are you talking about? You know, no, 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 1 Corinthians 13. And Paul would look right at you and say, I wasn't writing this for a wedding. I was writing this because there's a church that's in conflict, and I'm writing it for the church that's in conflict. This is why I'm writing it. And so context becomes very important when we read the text, when we read the Scriptures. In the midst of all their focus on the ways of the Spirit, they had lost their grip on the most excellent pathway of the Spirit, which was love. So last week, Paul likened the church to a body, the body that is made up of, of many parts. And I, I told you uh, about a, a cramp that I had in my leg in the middle of the night uh, last week. And I don't know if many of you heard the rest of the sermon, but you heard that because I got a lot of feedback about the cramp <laughs> in my leg. Um, and so, one thing I've realized is as I get older, I have more illustrations <laughs> to share. And so, this week, it wasn't a cramp in my leg. My leg actually fell asleep and went numb. And so, I'm sitting in my office, just right back here, and I've got my, my legs crossed, and, and I try to get up, and, and I go to step on this leg, and I almost fall right in the middle of my office. Because my, my leg had completely gone numb. The circulation had come out of my leg. You've probably experienced this too. If you slept on an arm or you, you slept on, you know, something wrong and you wake up and, and, and your limb is just completely numb, our kids will run to us and say, my, my arm's dead. You know, it's like, I'm sorry. Like, I don't know what to do about that. You know, you just have to shake it out a little bit, you know. But the circulation has, has gone away from that limb in the body. And so catch this, in order for your limbs to function, circulation has to what? Circulation has to be active. And so where there's no love circulating in the body of Christ, the gifts of the Spirit cannot function. If the gifts of the Spirit can be likened to the parts of the body, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, then love is likened to the body's circulatory system. 
1 Corinthians 13. So Paul picks out these gifts. He picks out the gift of tongues. He picks out the gift of prophecy, and he picks out the gift of faith and says, if you don't have love, you gain nothing, which tells us that it's possible to walk in those and not have love. If I give all I possess to the poor, and I I give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but, but do not have love, then I gain nothing, which tells us that it's possible for us to sacrifice without having love. So if I exercise any one of my gifts, if I exercise any gift and it's done with impatience, catch this, if it's done with unkindness, if it's done with envy, if it's done with boasting, if it's done with pride or self-seeking, if it becomes easily angered, then the exercising of the gift is not doing the good that you think it's doing. Circulation is being cut off. So let's keep reading. Verse 8, love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be still. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror, then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. So Paul takes it a step further to say that that love is really a bigger deal than this big deal that you're making about the gifts. Why? Because because love is eternal, and the gifts are not. The gifts will cease. The gifts will pass away. Now, Now here's where there's been a good bit of interpretive differences. So when Paul says gifts will cease, or be stilled, or pass away, when will that happen? Well, Paul tells the Corinthian church when that will happen, when completeness comes. Some translations say when the perfect comes. And what does that mean? This has been a big question for many years. So some of us were taught that completeness or the perfect refers to the 66 books of the Bible. And those who who taught that used some verses in the book of Psalms where it says the word of the Lord is perfect. And so the conclusion that was drawn was that the word of God is that which is perfect. And so when the perfect comes, some of these gifts would cease or pass away. Here's what I've been reminded of that the Bible is one of these 
is, is the book that we are constantly going back to. And so uh, the teaching was that when this Bible came along and that we needed to, to have all these, these out of ordinary gifts maybe going away anymore, that, that this, is, this is where it's, it's come into some confusion. And so I want to be clear that I, I believe to this day that those who, who taught that way were mature followers of Christ who loved the Lord. And, and can you have a deep respect for brothers and sisters in Christ and not see eye to eye on every point? Absolutely you can. We see examples of this. We see examples of Paul and Barnabas. We see examples of Peter and Paul in Galatians where brothers and sisters have not seen eye to eye on things. And as someone who has shared over one million words in this pulpit, there are times where you've probably not agreed with me. Amen. There have been times where that has happened. Yet it doesn't stop me from seeking Scripture in its context. Rather, it is an ongoing task to enter into the Word of God with humility. This is the task of us all. And so I have come over, over a period of time uh, to differ with the teaching that I heard growing up with. Let's look at the context. Verse 11, when I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put away the ways of childhood and put those behind me. So Paul, still talking about the gifts, saying that you think that the gifts are this sign that you've arrived. You, you think that they, they're a sign of your holiness and, and your maturity. I'm here to tell you they're not. You're still in this stage of development. Why? Because they're making too much, too much about the gifts. They're, they're making this big deal about the gifts, and they're not. And there's going to come a time when they will pass away. When? When you're mature, when you're complete, when you're perfect. Well, when is that? When is that time coming? Verse 12, for now we see only a reflection as in the mirror. Then we will see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully even as I am fully known. Paul is, Paul is defining completeness here. You've had the Bible for 1,700 years in the form that it is right now. Do you see God face to face? Do you see God fully? No. Do you know God as fully as He knows you? No. Completeness describes this state of things when, when Christ will return. Revelation 1 and 7 says, when He comes on the clouds, every eye will see Him. 1 John 3 and 2, we, we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. So is it possible that completeness is when Christ returns, and until then, the gifts are in circulation with one another. Are there abuses to the gifts? Sure. Are there counterfeits to the gifts? Absolutely. Are there misunderstandings? Are there impure motives? Certainly there are. But that doesn't negate the fact that the Spirit of God is still at work in the people of God. And here's the deal. The gifts aren't even the big deal. Love is. 
Verse 13, and now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Why is love the greatest? Because faith and hope won't even remain. Why? Because faith and hope both have to do with things that you can't see. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Romans 8 and 24, hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they've already seen? Faith and hope will, will pass away so that only what remains? Love. Love is the greatest because love is what? Love is eternal. God is love. Paul says, now follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts, chapter 14. And I, I want you to know that you have this, this firm footing in seeking the gifts, following the way of love. So the gifts are, are not desired out of ego. They're not desired because there's those around us who, who we're trying to, to be seen by. No, no, the, the gifts are desired because there are those around us who who are hurting. There are those around us with burdens. And, and we plead before an Almighty God and we say, we, we need help. Help us. Help those around us. Can you think about a time recently or in your lifetime where you were hurting or you had a burden? Didn't you want people praying to, God, give me a, a way to, to help this person? Didn't, didn't you want somebody else praying for that in your own context, in your own life? God, will you help us? Help them. Give us a word of wisdom. Give us a word of knowledge. Give us the gift of mercy. Lord, give, give us the gift of administration, the gift of healing. Give us gifts of leadership. Will you help us help them the way that Jesus loved others? So, here's a few examples of the way that we see Jesus who walked with, was empowered by, who is fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless. Mark chapter 8. Verse 1 and 2, during those days another large crowd gathered since they had nothing to eat. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They've already been with me three days. They have nothing to eat. John 11, 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. And when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. The shortest verse in all of Scripture, verse 35. Jesus wept. And do you, do you see the verse right after this? You see verse 36, then the Jews said, see how he loved them. Church, we should humbly pray and look for the Holy Spirit's presence to bring gifts until Christ returns. The most excellent pathway is love.
Uh, Leonard Allen in his book, Poured Out, says today, many assume that it's possible to serve God without ever leaving the house or the church building. We can listen to preachers and worship music on our phones. We can engage global issues on the internet through click activism. We can avoid or minimize the messiness of community with real people and their irritating issues by carefully limiting our involvement in face-to-face events. This is the trendy way of excarnation. Excarnation meaning I don't have any flesh in the game. But catch this, next slide, the way of Jesus is the way of incarnation. The way of flesh and blood. The Spirit befriends our bodies. We are formed as Jesus' disciples. We need to develop joint practices or habits with like-minded followers of Jesus that bind us more deeply to God, the Father, to each other, which propel us outward into the lives of others, especially the poor, lost, and lonely. So church, the, the Spirit's filling can awaken us to greater and fuller dimensions of God's love, to this greater longing for the reign of God and thus the peace of God to fill the earth. And the Spirit is, as C.S. Lewis says, no, no tame spirit, it's no shy spirit. It's not predictable or safe. The Holy Spirit shadows, shatters the status quo, breaking us out of complacency and lifting us up to new heights of spiritual fullness and blessing, if, if we're open to that. So when I participate in the Lord's Supper, I'm proclaiming the Lord's death until He comes. As I eat the bread and I drink the cup. Why do I proclaim His death? Because it's by His death that my my sins are cleansed and that I can be presently filled with the Holy Spirit so that I can walk with God and that I can see the goodness of His kingdom break forth into the world that helps me make a difference by bringing light into dark places. So we gather, we eat the bread, we drink the cup, and in so doing we're filled with the love of Christ until one day we will see love face to face. And I'll eat and drink to that. If you'll prepare yourselves by taking out your communion elements, I'm going to pray for the bread and the cup, and then we will eat and drink together. And so, Father, uh, we pray that you'll water what's been sown this morning. God, we thank you for your word. Father, we're reminded every time that we open the pages of Scripture that that we're also to let the Word read us. And so, Father, I I pray today that you will continue to convict us in ways that would lead us to this ultimate pathway, this most excellent pathway, this pathway of love. And Father, we realize that we, we can't do that on our own, that we can't muster up the energy or the strength to, to be able to, to pursue that pathway, that we need your help. We need the helper. We need the counselor. We need your Holy Spirit. So we pray, God, come Holy Spirit. Father, as we eat the bread, which represents the, the body of your Son this morning, may we be reminded that we do, don't do this just individually, but that we do this communally with one another, 
brothers and sisters who are gathered in this room, brothers and sisters who are, are gathered all over this city and town, and brothers and sisters who gather worldwide by the body of Christ. And so as we eat the bread, may we be reminded that we share this meal with many. God, as we drink the cup, Father, may we be reminded of the blood of your Son that was given, that was shed for us, that as we proclaim his death until he comes, that we do so with expectancy, knowing that love is eternal, that it will remain. And so the, the things that we, we hope for when we see those on that day, Father, we will know that you are Lord, and every tongue will confess, every knee will bow. So, Father, as we drink the cup, may we be reminded of that this morning, the love that was shown to us, the love that was given to us, and may we be conduits of that love to others. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen. The body of Christ and the blood of Christ given for you. If you came prepared to give today, you'll have an opportunity to do that in the foyer on your way out, or you're welcome to do that online as well. And we don't ever want anybody to leave this place without having the opportunity to respond, respond to the message that's been given today. Maybe it's a response where you have a joyful response that you, you just want to respond in joy. Uh, maybe it's a response of, of hurt or burden or, or something that's happening in your life. And our shepherds uh, would love nothing more than be able to just sit with you, pray with you, just spend a moment with you. You can do that down front, or you can go back here to this room to my right in our chapel. There'll be a shepherd and his spouse there to receive you. Uh, today's the day that you want to name Jesus as Lord to proclaim his lordship by being baptized into him. We would love to celebrate that with you. I'm going to ask the praise team to be making their way up. We'll pray one more time, and then we'll sing the song. Father, we, again, just thank you for this time that we've been able to share this communion meal together, uh, that we are reminded each and every week of your love for us, that you're on record for loving us. And God, I pray that you will uh, just continue to work mightily in this faith family. I pray that you will continue to work mightily through your spirit. I pray that you will uh, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Give us understanding, God, where we lack understanding. Give us uh, zeal where we lack zeal. Father, give us patience where we lack patience, God. And we realize that, that we need you in every facet and aspect of our lives. God, in every, everything that we do, everything that we say, we give you thanks. And we pray that, uh, that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's through Christ we pray. Amen.